Welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at Freightways for all things related to the consumer packaged goods, a CPG industry. I am your host, Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freightwaves. Uh, in addition to following Intermodal, also do the consumer packaged goods newsletter and show. And so today, what I have to talk about is not so much the CPG companies themselves, but I'll talk about uh, various things that are uh, impact the CPG companies. I'll give a consumer update. I'll talk about the pending Kroger, Albertsons deal. Uh, always seems to be a lot to discuss. Uh, with that deal, I'll talk a little bit about Costco's earnings, which has gotten to be one of the biggest uh, grocery uh, you know, retailers. And I'll talk a little bit about this um, FreightWaves uh, research report that just hit. I haven't had a chance to go through the whole thing yet, but I'll give a few highlights that really sort of stood out from, from flipping through it. Um, and then I'll, if, to the extent there's time, I'll talk about the, the hearing uh, the next couple of days in Washington, D.C., where Union Pacific will no doubt be grilled by the Surface Transportation Board over its use of embargoes as a way to deal with uh, congestion. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks there. So uh, no sponsor to today, but uh, we'll go right into it and, and start to talk about uh, the macro uh, update. And really sort of the big thing that, that came out um, you know, today, I want to throw this, this chart on the, on the screen, is the Central Bank's Survey of Consumer Expectations. And so this is just a survey of expectations for inflation. And it's, I think it's good news that this is starting to come down. So the Central Bank survey uh, this last month, um, you know, 5.2% expectation over the next year. And that's the lowest it's been since August of 2021. And it was down 0.7 percentage points from October. Now, I don't know the people that are answering this know exactly where uh, inflation is going, but I do think that it is a positive for consumer spending if consumers are less concerned about the ever-rising cost of of, of everything. I think, think what's going into that is falling you know, gasoline prices. Maybe some are really following the commodities um, you know, closely and seeing that the agriculture commodities are coming down. But I think in general, or maybe the other thing that goes into this is the discounting at uh, general merchandise that you're seeing at, at you know, stores like Walmart, um, you know, Home Depot, Target, th- those things. So I think of this as, as a positive. I, you know, I don't buy into the academic argument that says if inflation is is hot, your dollars buy more today than they will in the future, and therefore you should spend your your money. I think in practicality, the more that inflation, uh, you, you see inflation as being a risk, the more you're concerned about just affording the necessities that cause you to pull back on spending on things that are not uh, necessities. So I think um, any expectation that inflation is going down, a positive for consumer uh, spending. There's also the producer price index came out um, in the last couple of days. And it was data that came out, you know, December 9th. That moved up 7.4% for the 12 months ending November and up 0.3% from uh, October. And, you know, that was better than it has been in most recent months. So that's the prices that uh, pr- producers pay for, for their, um, you know, costs. And you sort of break that down into, into goods and, and, and services, uh, final demand services still up 0.4% from the previous month, final demand goods up 0.1%. So that's good news for uh, you know, goods makers um, should have, start to see some improvement in, in, in margins, uh, assuming that the, the consumer prices to consumer arise faster than that. 
Um, but maybe the one exception that proves the rule is food. And food is still an area where you're seeing lots of inflation there, even though a lot of agricultural commodities have come way down. Uh, I'm going to read through a couple of these stats here. So the final demand for food uh, in, the, in the producer price index up 3.3% from October and up 15.5% year over year. So um, you know, still a lot of inflation there that's um, pretty much tracking you know, closely to what most CPG companies are passing through in terms of prices through the, the retail channel onto consumers. Uh, a lot of the CPG companies that have reported recently and talked about their pricing for the next year has been right around that 15% uh, range. So not seeing a lot of you know, pullback in food, sort of despite some of these agriculture costs. And I think that's related to uh, inflation and labor, um, you know, still higher uh, transportation costs once fuel, um, you know, diesel fuel is included. Um, you know, cost of manufacturing is high, cost of packaging is high, all of those things still pressuring the food uh, producers' um, you know, costs. And so I think in balance, uh, most of the, that macroeconomic data on the consumer is positive, but um, we'll move on to the next topic here, which is a judge denies Albertson's dividend request. So this, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, things to discuss over the next, uh, let's call it year or so regarding the Kroger's pending acquisition of Albertson's. This would be the number one uh, traditional grocery retailer acquiring the second largest grocery retailer. You know, Walmart's bigger than that. You know, Costco's bigger than that, but really, you think of the traditional uh, grocers. These are the, are the two biggest uh, ones. Um, taking uh, some comments from Winsight Grocery Business, which is a publication I think really does a good job of describing um, you know, what's happening in the grocery industry. In a Zoom hearing on Friday, Judge Ken Schubert of King County Superior Court denied the request to stop this uh, large dividend payment um, and, is, and so ruled to extend, though, the restraining order for, for another you know, 10 days. So basically, uh, Albertsons is trying to pay this $4 billion dividend, which would um, represent $6.85 a share. Let's call it, let's, let's call it uh, 36% of the market cap. And really, the um, sort of battle is over whether this is going to hurt Albertsons in such a way that the timing of this is uh, you know, suspect. You have a, a stock chart on Albertsons, which has really shown a lot of you know, volatility um, you know, over the past uh, you know, couple of years. I guess that's a little bit over, over, over um, almost a two-year chart going back to the beginning of, of 2021. Um, but, but really um, interesting that uh, recently the stock has come down as a result of that, um, you know, pending pending merger. It was up earlier in uh, the year when it was announced that the company was going was going going undergoing strategic uh, re review. But um, so those shareholders interested to see, you know, what's happening with their dividends, sort of where's where's my money type of type of situation. The argument that a lot of um, these these government officials are making, which it's not just Washington State now, it's ex expanded to D.C., California, Illinois that paying this huge dividend is going to hurt Albertson's financial position. And then there would be no choice but for Kroger to acquire Albertson's in order for Albertson's to be a going concern. I think the, the counter argument is that Albertson still has lots of liquidity, even after paying that potential you know, dividend, they still have 500 million of cash, 2.6 billion uh, credit lines, we'll call it 3.1 billion of liquidity. And people aren't going to stop buying groceries, even if there's a little bit of trading down from the traditional grocers to, uh, let's say, Walmart, um, you know, Costco. And so all this goes into, you know, is this deal going to be approved? Um, do, do all of these 
uh, temporary restraining orders for paying this dividend? Is that sort of a precursor to what's likely to happen when uh, antitrust um, you know, judges go in and look at this deal and how many locations are ultimately going to have to be divested when the deal was announced? Kroger said that, you know, we've, we've already been looking at sort of which locations need to be divested and they think it's going to be somewhere between 100 and 350 or 400 locations. A lot of those in, in places like, you know, the Northwest, um, where there's a lot of overlap and let's say the Seattle area and the Denver area, a lot here in, in Dallas, I can't go very far without having both Kroger and Albertsons. Um, so it, it, it sort of gives you a sense of, is, is there going to be a heavy handed, um, you know, regulation here in terms of, Allowing that deal, you know, I think most CPGs would just as, as um, would just like maybe this deal not to occur because this just makes a more concentrated, you know, customer base. If you're selling into, uh, let's say, a, a grocer that's going to be greater than a 10% customer, most of the CPGs say that Walmart is the only customer right now that's bigger than a 10% customer. Most have that at about a 20% customer, but I think Kroger, Albertsons. Um, combined is going to be greater than 10%. Um, you know, some CPGs could, you know, potentially view that as a positive if they can get into maybe the other chain, if they're only good and in, in only strong in one chain or can maybe leverage Kroger's uh, data. You know, Kroger talks about having now data on over 100 million households, which is going to be most everyone in the United States who shops at a traditional, you know, grocer. So a lot to watch um, with the Kroger uh, Albertsons. Uh, deal. Um, so relevant, I think, to those who are not just Albertson stockholders as to whether they are able to pay that uh, dividend. But I'll move on to do another topic on uh, retail. This is Costco um, is, took a margin hit in fresh uh, food. So interesting, uh, the, you know, their stock price is up on the, on the screen there. It's been you know, pretty volatile. It makes you wonder if anyone is really um, a good enough trader to sell the stock at $575 a share and buy it back at 400 or 425 and do that a bunch of different times with the, with, with the volatility. And there's probably some uh, savvy, uh, you know, investors that, that are, um, but, but, you know, lately it was down a little bit um, because company missed earnings a little bit, uh, same store sales still up 7.1% should mention that excludes fuel and foreign exchange. And that was on top of a 9.8% increase in same store sales from, from the year earlier. So still seeing, you know, a fair amount of growth there um, in terms of consumers spending more at those existing locations. Uh, you know, but that 7.1% increase in same store sales this most recent quarter was the worst it's been in about two years, and the first time it's fallen below 9%. So um, I think that's what the market was reacting to was the slowing in uh, sales. They did say their core margins were down 31 basis points overall. Um, their food margins, they said, was up a little bit, but on the fresh food. The margin was down after a couple of really strong years, and they actually uh, provided some some uh, sort of telling uh, commentary on their their analyst call. And they said that the fresh food segment is one segment that the shoppers really notice the price because those prices are advertised in sort of weekend circulars and 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 those things, and that's part of the strategy why they keep the um, rotisserie chicken at $4.99. They keep the $1.50, you know, hot dog. It's true of a lot of these other sort of fresh, uh, foods and they kind of view those maybe as being lost leaders and they want, um, you know, they don't want consumers to not go to, to Costco if they view those things as being too expensive. So it seems like they're willing to take a margin hit on those fresh foods in order to keep uh, consumers in the, in, in the store, but they say otherwise, um, 
you know, they're doing well in, in, in food, seeing some margin improvement there, doing well in, in things like, you know, sun dries, uh, maybe the exception um, that where they're not doing as well is, is sort of the areas where you would expect those higher ticket discretionary items, things like electronics, furniture, those are under a lot of pressure. Uh, also, Costco did say that, you know, sort of similar to what we've heard from Walmart, where Walmart said more consumers that make over $100,000 a year going into their stores for groceries as a way to cut costs. Costco said they're seeing, you know, the same thing, didn't really describe it in exactly that same way, but but said their average um, income of their consumers is, is is going higher. Still say they're benefiting from, um, you know, gasoline prices, even though gasoline prices are now a little bit less than they were a year ago. They think, um, the gasoline uh, prices being high for that extended period of time really changed consumers' uh, behavior and habits to buy their buy their gas at Costco, go in and, and 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 buy other things. So, sort of on balance, you know, Costco I think is becoming a, a bigger player in the grocery industry that can have implications for um, CPGs. Uh, the next topic here I'll talk about is FreightWaves Research Group. So those are the guys, uh, you know, Tony Mulvey, Michael uh, Rudolph, etc. Uh, just published a 23-page uh, research report. Have that they called um, asking a uh, rocky road on the way to in uh, rocky road on the way in 2023. So I don't know if someone had a hankering for ice cream when they wrote that title, um, and they do sort of answer that. I think um, it has a question mark there, but I think uh, sort of flipping through the report, uh, they seem to think that there there is going to be uh, some challenges next year. A lot of that is due to continued pressure on the consumer. And uh, you know, this is an interesting uh, chart that that sh- stood out from the uh, research report. Is um, so this is the biggest challenges for shippers as they move into 2023. So this could include, uh, you know, uh, CPG companies or, or or other shippers. And it's really service. You see that bar at the bottom, uh, meeting the, the service levels with customers. And that's not just you know, the railroads where we hear, hear a lot about, you know, service levels there. I think it's, it's, it's truck, you know, also we've heard that from a number of CPGs like General Mills has said, well, you know, I don't know when the, the truck is going to show up, if it's going to have the right quantity, all those things. So, you know, I think that's really sort of top of mind for most shippers, you know, even above that next one, which is from the second from the bottom, staying within transportation budget. You know, that's still a concern. I think maybe it's a little bit less of a concern uh, given all that we've seen in the truckload market, you know, getting, uh, you know, weaker. And, you know, some of those other uh, items on that list, you know, telling also sort of securing ocean capacity, you know, that's the least of their you know, concerns out of those things on, on the list. Um, so those, the ocean capacity, there had been a lot of, of rollovers from one vessel to, to another and that seems to have uh, have gone away. Uh, you know, port congestion seems to be a, a little bit lower um, uh, concern than it had been. Uh, you know, even even inventory levels, you might have thought that that was a little bit uh, higher. And, and 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 with inventory is is uh, sort of a tale of two cities here. Are you talking about inventories that are general merchandise, which there's too much of that type of inventory, or are you talking about inventories of ingredients, food products, et cetera? Those are a lot lower. So I thought that was a good, you know, graphic based on a survey that we did of uh, shippers. Also have an interesting survey uh, on uh, carriers that I'd like to, to to bring up. And and we asked that, you know, we asked carriers, are they going to continue to add capacity to their fleets in 2023? So in that research report, we talk a lot about the you know 
uh, demand for transportation services. That would be a lot of consumer spending, you know, re- retail growth, manufacturing, capital spending, all those things. On the supply side, we're sort of looking at this as, you know, are they at, are the, the carriers adding uh, capacity to their fleet? And this one surprised me that, you know, this 45% are increasing the size of their fleet, you know, from one to 20%. I would have guessed more would have been in that, um, you know, 35% range. Fleet size will remain the same or even uh, a decrease in the fleet size, but only 3% of uh, carriers are saying that they're going to decrease their, their their fleet size. About one percent are going to decrease their fleet size more than fifty percent. Those are you know, extreme uh, you know bears, but it's almost like the you know the, the extreme bulls that are really planning to increase their fleet size. Uh, you know, exceed uh, so the, the you know tr- trucking companies. Um, I think a lot of those those management teams, all those executives, tend to be sort of positive by nature. I think you almost have to be if you're going to be someone that acquires these very expensive, um, you know, capital intensive you know, assets uh, with the intention of keeping them turned. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart or someone that uh, thinks the economy is about to collapse. But, um, you know, I was surprised by that based on everything that we've seen in uh, the marketplace, um, you know, potential for decline in transportation demand. But I, I think, um, you know, maybe some fleet you know, operators are being too optimistic and you might see some of those a carriers, uh, you know, go out of go out of business. So, those are just a few of the highlights um, for that, that are contained in this uh, research report written by the FreightWaves uh, Research Group. I just asked them: Is there a way to direct the Stockout listeners to find that article online? And the answer was not yet. Uh, if you want to get it from me, you can email me at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com. Um, believe it's, it is going to be on the website on the Sonar. Uh, FreightWaves blog, where we have a lot of our white papers uh, in the coming you know day uh, or two. Um, just had to sort of get uh, sort of the right form uh, figured out, but, but that should be something that you should find uh, be able to find online. Uh, the last topic here, I'll talk a little bit about um, you know what I'm expecting to hear this week on the the hearing in Washington D.C. on the railroad embargoes. And for anyone that is not sort of fully you know up to speed on this. There's been a tremendous amount of um, you know, pressure on uh, railroad congestion uh, over the past you know, couple of years. I mean, really, what typically happens, the railroads, uh, you know, volumes go up and down with the economy, with you know, growth or contraction in the various you know, sectors. And the railroads historically have been able to uh, reduce em- employee count, either through furloughs or just job cuts when volumes come, come down. And then when volumes return again. Uh, they're able to hire those workers right back because they make more with the railroad than they do um, in the interim at their construction job or whatever they were doing. That didn't happen this year, uh, really, for a number of reasons. One was just I think the the, the railroad workers, you know, left with a bad taste in their mouth. Um, you know, the, the precision scheduled railroading, all the cost cutting you know, associated with that, caused them to have to do more with fewer resources. You know, had less uh, in time at home, more time away from home, and, and all those things really put a lot of pressure on the network, uh, not having the right, uh, you know, personnel. And one of the big points of contention has been, uh, service levels. And there's a chart on this from the surface transportation board. So this is from the U S surface transportation board. This is on the docket that, um, you know, they have on their website that's going to be discussed this week. And this is for union Pacific specifically. And so the number of embargoes from 2017 through 2022 as of August. So an an embargo is 
railroad's not going to, it's basically suspending service. It's like, you know, there's usually a train to Chicago. It's not going because for of some reason. Now, historically, that reason has been weather. There's been huge snowstorm in Chicago. It's not going to enhance the network to run the, the trains in, or there's a hurricane, or the network in Nebraska is underwater because of a flood. That would be the typical reasons why you would have an embargo. But lately, um, you know, you've had this 98% of the embargo has just been caused by congestion. If you're watching the video portion of this, you can see on that left tab, uh, that's it was 98% congestion due to only 19% in 2017 when it was mostly, you know, weather related. So that congestion, you know, kind of a catch-all. It could be, you know, not having enough crews, not having enough locomotives, not having locomotives in the right place not having the, the passing sightings or the infrastructure. And so what the Surface Transportation Board, uh, which is the organization that regulates the railroad trying to get to this week is, um, you know, what is the reason for those things? Can, can you know, a company like Union Pacific get it corrected? And is the railroad just being too greedy by starving the railroad of capital and, uh, you know, not having enough employees? You know, that, that situation I described earlier when they cut workers when volumes are low, you know, should there be some, uh, you know, excess employees and just, you know, in, in case volumes recover a little bit faster than, than expected. I mean, really in order for a railroad to run smoothly, uh, given how volatile the uh, volumes are and given how many sort of unique events your the, the railroad has to deal with, with weather and, and, and so forth, there really should be sort of some extra resources in, in, in a place there. So the, the Surface Transportation Board wants to understand that. And they also want to understand how the railroads come to a decision to, um, you know, impose an embargo and really sort of why have, have those embargoes increased as much as they have. And so they're calling on not just Union Pacific, the, you know, Union Pacific is going to have a panel of five executives um, present and likely really get grilled by Marty Oberman, who's the chairman of the U.S. Surface Transportation Board. They're also talking to shippers that, that you, you would imagine that really are kind of use the railroad as their primary method for transporting their goods that would be companies in the agriculture industry, fertilizer, chemicals, metals, uh, minerals, um, you know, those things, sort of big, bulky uh, commodities. And then in addition, there are going to be a number of panels uh, with labor representation. Um, Remember, the the, the unions are sending, uh, you know, representation on, you know, to sort of corroborate or not the railroads claim that the reason um, there were so many embargoes is they didn't have the personnel. And the uh, Surface Transportation Board wants to hear it from the, the labor uh, perspective. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, good content on our site, uh, FreightWaves.com, coming out of that um, uh, hearing, that two-day hearing. I believe uh, our um, railroad writer, uh, Joanna Marsh, uh, listens to that entire thing. You may um, have it be written up by uh, you know, John Kingston as well. John's been following those um, issues closely. He went to the Rail Trends Conference and, and, and wrote about a lot of those those issues. So that's something to uh, you know, keep in mind uh, for later this week. I uh, would uh, keep uh, following uh, the FreightWaves.com to, to, to see uh, you know, what else is there. I think ultimately the um, Surface Transportation Board is going to be you know, heavier handed, if I had to guess, in terms of uh, making sure that the railroads are providing good service. Um, you know, this year they took the unusual step of ordering Union Pacific to, um, you know, expedite certain um, rail carloads, and those carloads were of animal feed 
that went to the, the, the animal processors and, and uh, you know, the shippers made a big deal of this, you know, probably rightly so. They said that the certain number of, of chickens and milk producing cows were going to be euthanized if they did not get the rail service and get that feed delivered to those uh, stockyards at a timely you know, basis. And that's and the National Feed Association is going to be one of the companies that uh, presents um, in the next couple of days in, uh, in, in Washington, D.C., among many other uh, shipper uh, groups. Um, and so this is really going to be sort of one of the issues I think CPGs are going to you know, be watching uh, for. It impacts uh, their supply chains and a lot of different levels. Also have there's one CPG company that we talk to um, all the time, and they said that you know, really, um, you know, some of the things that would normally move via railroad, this is really more on the inter- intermodal side of things, uh, move truckload, let's let's say in some of these uh, competitive lanes like uh, Chicago to Atlanta, you know, they were moving, uh, you know, good. And actually, in some cases, they had to go into the terminals, pull their containers out of the intermodal terminals, move them by truck uh, to the southeast. And so that's something that I think all parties want to avoid, um, and particularly those shippers that are dependent on, um, you know, the railroad, such as a lot of these big, big bulk uh, commodity shippers. So with that, um, that's really what I wanted to go over today. Um, if you're not already signed up for the Stockout newsletter, I encourage you to do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. And um, if anyone has any topics that uh, you want me to talk about, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. I'm at m at freightwaves.com.